Hello and welcome to the Human Factor Podcast, a series of conversations discussing the topics and themes influencing the world of work today. My name is Michael Esau. I'm a global HXM advisor at SAP. My name is Simon Humphreys. I'm a solution architect at SAP. So Simon, this is episode 25 of the Human Factor Podcast, which is a great milestone. And this will be our holiday episode to close out 2022. Promises to be a rich episode because uh, we're talking about culture. And we've, we've, I know we've touched on culture or in most episodes, but we're really focusing in on it today. So we're, we're talking about building, retaining, maintaining, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what are you looking forward to in this episode? Uh, first and foremost, looking forward to talking to our guest, who we know well, <laughs> and we've we've known for a long time. We know it's going to be a, a great conversation before we've even started. I guess when you look at the organisation our guest works in as well, you know, it's a family-owned business. Yeah, and, and when you look at culture, that can often get squeezed in times of financial hardship. And so I'd be interested very much on not only how are they measuring that and how do they to listen to whether the culture is being retaining its integrity, but just how do they keep that going as well? And, and how do they sort of lean into difficult times as opposed to uh, trying to avoid? How about yourself? All of those. And, and what culture means to our guest today, tomorrow, what's changed, what's evolved, the principles, and then just how are they reflected? you know, and weaved into the organization, I think will also be, will be really important. So yes, we know this is going to be a rich one. So looking forward to it. So we're delighted to welcome as our guest, Sue Yell. Sue is the HR director uh, for Warburton's. She brings over 25 years experience in the HR industry and has been at Warburton since 2011, where she has worked with the executive team to define and deliver the business growth plans. Sue is responsible for the development and delivery of the people management strategy and the people agenda, which is now seen as absolutely essential to the organization's success. The lead for growth plan has focused on the development of talent and capability to enable the business vision to be achieved. Sue is particularly passionate about engagement and has been instrumental in achieving best company to work for status for both Warburton's and previously Iceland Foods. She's previously worked for Marks and Spencer and News International and has extensive experience of managing business transformation, change programs, and improving leadership capability within both the retail and manufacturing sectors. Sue, welcome to the Human Factor podcast and thank you. We know how busy a time it is for you at the moment. Thank you for being a guest of ours today. Thank you very much for inviting me, Michael. I'm absolutely delighted to represent Warburton's, the family business. And I have to say, I'm very proud to work for a business um, that truly is values led in very challenging times. Wonderful. I think this is going to be a rich conversation. So we're going to be talking about building, shaping and retaining a, a great culture. So just as we do with every episode, let me put this into context. The first definition of culture comes from 19th century British anthropologist Edward Tyler. Culture, he said, is that, that complex whole which includes knowledge, belief, art, law, morals, custom, and any other capabilities and habits acquired by man as a member of society. 
Culture has been called the way of life for an entire society. In addition to its intrinsic value, culture provides important social and economic benefits. With improved learning and health, increased tolerance, and opportunities to come together with others, culture enhances our quality of life and increases overall well-being for both individuals and communities. A question, however, how is it really created and how is it created at scale? As the world around us evolves at a rate of knots, we have discussed many times on the podcast the changing preferences and expectations of the modern workforce. So how do organizations build, shape, and retain a progressive culture that reflects the organization and results in a successful organization, happy employees, but crucially, happy customers? So we will be exploring this today with Sue and through the lens, as she mentioned, of a family business of multiple generations where values and culture are absolutely central to their longevity and success. Before I get into the questions, though, so we had the great pleasure of meeting you and then working with you over probably the last five years. And I recall our first meeting and you were taking me through the strategy and taking me through what Warburton stood for as a business and and, and how intrinsic the culture engagement, the values, et cetera, were. And over the last five years, you and I have met regularly and discussed regularly. And one thing that has always struck me, though, your organization is the definition of an evolving business. You know, and even recently when we met and we were discussing the business landscape, every single facet of Warburton's is being impacted by the changing context, whether it be, you know, the raw materials for the product, the cost of materials to run, you know, your production line, the supply of employees to do critical roles in the supply chain. However, but at the heart of it, though, you're still so focused on retaining the DNA for the colleagues who exist today, for the customers you have today, for the customers you're going to acquire tomorrow, and the employees you're going to acquire tomorrow. So yours is a perfect example of that moving feast, if you like, and how the context is, is shaping it. Let's dive in. Let me, let me ask, you know, if we can get your perspective on this word called culture. What does it mean to you personally, based on your, obviously, your experiences today with Orbitans, but your, obviously, your past experience? And how has your thinking perhaps evolved over the last three to five years? And crucially, what does it therefore then mean to Orbitans as an organisation? I mean, to me, the culture of a business absolutely defines the environment, the personality, the atmosphere, the relationships, and of course, importantly, the performance outputs. It really does represent a set of shared beliefs, norms, uh, values that very much influence how people think, feel and behave. If you think about Warburton's, we've been around since 1876, so we must have something that resonates with our employees over the years, our customers and our consumers. And I think having a very strong and positive culture where employees can believe in those company values and are proud to be part of something is is really key. And particularly for a business like Warburton's, where we are so reliant on our 
frontline workers, our key workers, as evidenced brilliantly during COVID. So for me, the real test is at half past four in the morning on a wet Tuesday um, in, in November, the duvet goes back. And do people think, oh my goodness, I'm going to phone in sick? Or do they actually think, do you know what? I'm proud of what I'm part of. I work with a great bunch of people and I'm going to go to work and do the very best I can. Because that discretionary effort is so important for a business like ours. We are totally built on an ethos of quality and service. And that's the quality of the product that we produce. And it's making sure that we get the product to 18,500 customers every week. Um, I mean, it's, it's a huge undertaking. We're a billion unit supply chain now, and we need everybody with their noses north um, all working for the same, you know, an understood purpose uh, and, and all, all heading in the right direction. I love that. Noses north. True, though. I mean, you, you listen, there's so much in there, right, in terms of describing what culture means to you, the atmosphere, the behaviour. But you've linked that to purpose and, 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 and understanding what it is actually is the manifestation of what you do. Because when we were talking about COVID and lockdown, your slogan was very clear, wasn't it? You know, we're feeding the nation. So you really brought purpose Absolutely. to the fore. Could you elaborate just a little bit on that for us? Warburton's has always been very good at having a great story. We believe in uh, simplicity. So if you're in the pub at night and somebody says to you, who do you work for and what is the business trying to achieve? We think if our people can't articulate that, then either we've made it too complicated um, or we've overthought it. People should be able to say what what it is that the business does and how they how they contribute to that. So during COVID, it was very simple. It was about feeding the nation, as you quite rightly say, but it was also about keeping our people safe in a very difficult and uh, really quite frightening uh, environment. And our people did a magnificent job, and we were delivering Christmas volume for a a great deal of that initial. Uh, lockdown period. I think just sort of stepping onto the how do you measure the value of culture? I think one of those measures is how well you do in a crisis, how well you do when your backs are against the wall. You know, we've had lots of examples of that. Uh, We had a bakery fire in one of our sites and how quickly we were able to turn that round again. How the organisation galvanises itself in something like COVID, I mean, more recently, the bank holiday for the Queen's funeral, for a business like ours that turns its stock over 363 days a year, obviously it causes a lot of turmoil, but the way that the organisation came together and planned as to how we could deliver the best that we could in partnership with our retailers was another phenomenal example, I think, of you know how our culture allows us to deliver and deliver effectively and well. So just going back to your your point about Noses North and having a a cause to align behind, one of the great examples in Warburton's history is what was called painting Britain red. So of course, Warburton's grew from a regional operator into a national presence. And we're now in all corners of the kingdom, as it were. 
painting Britain red was a visual example and it was nothing more complex than a map uh, in all of our sites that as we opened more and more bakeries and depots that the um, the map of the great of Great Britain just literally turned red and how fantastic that was to align our whole business behind and everybody understood it they knew what their role was and again that sort of clarity that line of sight really powerful stuff you referenced there about warburton's and you said it's about telling a story so can we just take a step into that for a moment mm. and we absolutely know right the values and the culture are absolutely intrinsic to the dna of of warburton's it's been built, it's been shaped through generations, and you're going to continue mm. to move through the generations. Evolving it is, is a big part of it. I mean, in recent history, of course, you know, Warburton's has been renowned for their phenomenal TV adverts, for example, in terms of continuing to tell that story and highlighting the product and highlight and what do you mean? Can you just give us a lens, therefore, just how that story continues to manifest? It continues to evolve, or, or is it actually still rooted back in where it where it once was? Can you just give mm. us that feel and lens of how the how mm. the tale and the story has evolved? Yes, I mean I think the values, I mean the values that we have in the the, the business. I know you're you're very familiar with them, Michael, but mm. um, they they do in 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 many ways sort of transcend time yeah. and they almost seem to get transferred from each generation to the next it, it it it's almost part of our dna into in terms of how how it's uh, grown with us and the values are around family they're around quality uh, ambition care and responsibility so for me they do have a very good blend of delivering sustainable success but doing it in the right way and I think they are as powerful now as they were many, many years ago in terms of just galvanizing the organization. And for pe you know, people who join us feel as though they're part of this, this story. When you talk to the family members, they always reference the values as being an anchor, as being the glue that sort of binds us together and keep us on course when, and particularly at a time like now where there's lots of noise externally, you've got politicians telling people how to run their businesses, out, outside external organisations, the same. And, you know, we want to keep on course. And it's particularly important, I think, to have the values in times of change. You know, we're undergoing a lot of transformation at the moment, as you alluded to at the beginning of the, the, the podcast. And we've got to make decisions based on what we believe is the best way forward for us. And what the family will always talk about is that we will never sacrifice standards. We will never sacrifice our people you know for short-term gain we will always always look at how to deliver that longer-term success and if you think about it it's really important if you think move, moving forward we want to empower people rather than them wait for orders if, if, if you, you know wait for instructions and if you're going to do that you do have to have a very clearly understood value system because you have to give them freedom yes of course but within a framework to ensure that the actions that they're going to take are going to be appropriate for the long-term value in the in in the business 
I love that. I call, I've started calling them guardrails. It is like guardrails, isn't it? That you, mm. you, you know, we're used to. It's because it's, this is where I think there's that bite at the moment. I, I, I think the external context is tapping culture on the shoulder, going, "Are you keeping up?" Because outside of work, I've got autonomy. I'm pretty much empowered. I'm curating my my life, my experience, how mm. I get things done. And and I want that autonomy in the workplace. And you've just said it there. You know, it has to be within the organizational framework. So mm. you're empowered and you're making choices, but it's not at the detriment. I think that's what you're saying, isn't it? It's not at the detriment of the organization in terms of strategy goals and also how you do things. Would that be fair? Absolutely. It should be an enabler. It shouldn't inhibit in, in any way. I think the other thing that the fifth generation uh, have made very, very clear is that the values are non-negotiable. Um, you know, we're we're just in a very exciting period at Warburton's because we now have a couple of the sixth generation um, who've joined us, and we will have um, another two in in next year. And the expectation is that they will very much live the values, that they will demonstrate their support for the values. And I suppose it comes back to this inherited DNA. And that the legacy that we, we talk a lot about leaving legacy in our business, because, of course, we're only around for the time that we are. But how do we, we all join the business with a view that we want to leave it in a better place for future generations and employees that you know we won't ever get to meet? It's very, very similar to the all black story where they talk about playing for the jersey and how that that legacy, that culture, that environment is created you know, that's why for me, I think that the values are timeless. Having said that, I think there are elements of them that need to be dialed up to ensure that, that they are appealing to the next generation and that they will continue to be relevant, particularly in a, a period of significant change and turmoil that, that we're, we're currently in. I think probably there would be three elements of culture that I would think we would need to focus on. I think the adaptive nature is one of those things. You know, our culture has evolved, as you've said, uh, over many, many years, uh, and it has acted as, as an anchor. But it's it's also about making sure that it, it can flex. Uh, it doesn't change. The ethos stays the same, but it's how can we flex and help and support our people through unprecedented levels of change and transformation, of course. I think the second thing would be all about resilience, because cultures need to be resilient in you know, these very highly dynamic uh, environments. And, and how... How can we make sure that everybody feels comfortable contributing? Um, how do we support people to take more risks? How do we give that honest feedback? How do we overcome failure quickly? If indeed that is the result of, of uh, an initiative that we, we put in place. So I think there is, is definitely that, you know, that, that, that feeling around be, being resilient. And I think perhaps even more important after the period of crisis, management that we've had where people are fatigued people yes. you know we've gone from um one crisis to another haven't we and how we build that that resilience into the organization is really really critical really really key we we spoke during lockdown 
And one of the things that you shared was a really key focus, and I know you hold it dear, and you always have, is listening to the organisation. And I think you were clear with me to say that, you know, you were pulsing probably more because the organisation had obviously gone to remote. HR in particular had become a a remote organisation during that time. So just going back to, you know, that adaptive nature of the flex, you talked about the transformation the organization's going through, the feedback and the failure and all of these things. Can you just share with us your thoughts, if you like, or your strategies around listening, first and foremost, and then it'd be good then to sort of delve into, you know, because that's listening from colleagues, but that's also listening from customers. But then it's a, then then maybe we can dig a little bit into then, so what do you do about it? It's that, it's that how do you then apply it? But if we could just start with the listening strategies, because people talk about listening today, but is there a clear strategy around this? Because I think it's actually intrinsic now. I think you have to have your finger yes. on the pulse. I think that listening is part of a bigger picture, because when I think about culture, I think about at an organisation level, in terms of what your culture is and the values and how you present those, how they're communicated and so on. I think about managers, leaders being role models and how you inspire and motivate. But the third piece is I think about how the managers deliver a positive colleague experience. And I think that's the piece that listening particularly fits into because it's that colleague experience that will determine whether people decide to stay with you. So your retention, attrition statistics, you know, really important at telling you how effective that is. And I think listening to colleagues is super important, particularly in an organisation like ours where the culture is so powerful because, you know, if new we've, we've had situations where new people have joined us and they might have great capability and credibility in previous organisations. But if they ignore that culture and don't listen to colleagues, then they will be spat out and you get what we call tissue rejection. So so listening is very much part and parcel of this. And I think you have your formal channels. So you're absolutely right, Michael, we use technology um, to, to do pulse surveys. We do focus groups quite a lot as well. But fundamentally, I think it comes down to the relationship that you have with your line manager. And one of the things that we're really focusing on at the moment is having better conversations. We have to learn to use technology and um, connectivity together and to be really effective. You can't lose the human touch because, as we all know, relationships and that connection and, and, and being part of a team, being part of a function and so on is really, really important. But the quality of the dialogue and the feedback and and what is done with that feedback, I think there's a huge responsibility on the line manager to do that. And that's one of the elements that we're really focusing on this year. And that's whether it's in terms of how to improve the colleague experience, how to improve the career development, how to look at, you know, just general views on the organisation and where where we might improve. We had an episode um, with uh, Jason Aberbuck and we were talking about the future of work, but we ended up talking about the now of work. And and he made the comment that we have to stop just thinking about connecting people, but actually making better connections. 
and he sees that as an intrinsic part of the future because he was talking about what digital means and in and in his world you know he said there's two things there's thinking digitally and there's being digital and being digital is almost like treating people and the things that we do as like having a pet not a not a a, a rock or a plant you know you walk it daily you pet it daily you connect with it you know all of these things and and i think that's that shift in mindset you could argue that's always been the case but maybe we now just think that it's even more important today conscious that i haven't brought simon in at all so far not that i've been ignoring him i wouldn't dream of doing such a thing simon your thoughts so far questions maybe for sue hi sue so on the topic of listening my thoughts are it's also important to understand what questions you're asking and to really have a a real focus on the questions themselves um, because you can be listening to the wrong things if not careful how, how do you go about evolving the questions over time because those questions must change dependent on the circumstances the situation you're in the situation the market's in etc how, how do you keep those questions relevant for what you want to focus on i mean i think that's a great question simon and i think from a, a sort of culture perspective one of the things that we want to do is uh, refresh our employee value proposition so it's always been very very strong we're considered as an employer of choice uh, and we have we 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 talk about proud to be that's our uh, evp and it's about three things it's about respecting our heritage it's about being on top of our game and focused on the future but each of those areas needs to be refreshed and uh, refined in a way that is going to appeal to five generations of workforce, which is quite challenging, as you would imagine. Certainly when we look at attracting next generation talent, the emphasis on development of skills, on how they'll personally grow, on how we present ourselves as a responsible business and a business with a clear purpose, it's really important. And therefore, what we have to do is dial up certain areas of that to make sure that we are still appealing and still able to attract absolute top talent. It's also important when you are changing a lot in an organisation and transforming that you might not always get it right. And it's important to respond where you might have launched a new process or a new system, new technology. And if things aren't right, you have to rectify that and rectify that quickly. And I think be seen to be responding to feedback if that is uh, appropriate. And even where you can't take action or you choose not to take action, you should explain why. I think this adult adult conversation, you know, we're back to better conversations, better dialogue is, is just so, so critical because if people take the time to raise something, they have the right to know what the company perception is. And I think that also then builds the trust, doesn't it? If if you're seen to be listening to that feedback and reacting to that, and even and as you say, even if you can't do anything, then you're explaining why. That builds trust in future listening and future questioning because the organization then knows they're being heard and that you know that their opinion does count. Absolutely. And again, we can use technology and connection together. So one of the things that we started during COVID was that Jonathan did some short videos on a regular basis, just really to give a business update, his perception on things. And it was really quite motivational for people. And we get 
literally thousands of hits within a very short space of time. So I just thought I would share with you a message that he got back. So his last update was literally a few weeks ago. And he, within 24 hours of Jonathan's video, he got this message back. This was from a gentleman who is employed at one of our depots. And it said, Dear Jonathan, thank you for your message. I've only been at Warburton's for six weeks, but from what I've seen up to now, we will get through these difficult times as we're all part of your team, yours, Derek. Now, the reason that I share that with you is that it would be easy to think, oh, well, Warburton's, it's all about uh, people who've been with you for a long period of time. It's only you know, with those, that those older generations. It isn't. That's an example of somebody who's only experienced this business for six weeks. And I suppose it's that what I would call stickability that you are trying to create in a business. And I would say that that mantra, what he said in that very short little note is replicated across the business at all levels, regardless of age, length of service, level. And that's gold dust, I think. And that is something that we have to preserve, but evolve to make, uh, you know, whatever we're doing to make it appeal, obviously, to the next generation of Warburton's employees. Oh, I love that example. That's a great example. And the stickability, oh my God, this is a rich conversation, isn't it? I mean, I, I often talk to my wife about culture and back in the day, she always used to say, oh, culture is what goes on when the grown-ups aren't around. And I love little sayings like that. Mm -hmm. But I was very, very lucky early on in my career that I got to work with my dad. And many of my lessons about work, and my dad's a bit of a hero of mine, and he used to work in the uh, in, in retail with big supermarkets. And he always used to talk about stickability. He'd talk about, you know, did the store <laughs> run as well on the days that he wasn't there, for example, or a department was, you know. So were the standards, were the values, were, the, were all of the things that everybody held dear, were they still in place when he wasn't there or another manager <laughs> wasn't there, you know? And that sort of preservation, if you like, of, the culture and the standards and he, he observes a lot today that he believes some of those mm. aren't there so one of the things I wanted to just want to just raise though because I think it goes back a little bit to the point that my dad is making for me and Simon these conversations on the podcast we're absolutely privileged but equally you know we get to work with organizations like yourself and it is an absolute privilege and every conversation I have with you the one thing that always always strikes me and I always take away is there's never a hint of complacency, ever, ever. You're, you're never resting on your laurels. You're never giving me the feeling of, you know, oh, it's great, it's great. It's There's always a tension in your voice. There's always a, you, you're just sensory all the time. And going back to what we were talking about, the listening piece and the loop, John Amici mm -hmm. talked about the loop, you know, the feedback loop. Damien Hughes talked about the loop. Is that a huge part of also your culture and your DNA that you're never complacent? Absolutely. And that Jonathan will say that so many times. I mean, there is a saying that the family have about being restless since 1876. And I think that probably does sum up their, uh, their, their thinking. Jonathan and, and all of the family are always open to learning. And I'll give you a very recent example. We held our 
first senior manager um, sort of conference really that we've been able to do for a number of years and Jonathan shared sort of a le learning that he'd been on his way up to Scotland and he visited the monument of David Sterling who was obviously the founder of the SAS and he was telling the senior leaders about how appropriate he thought David Sterling's thinking was around behaviours and Jonathan will always say oh I'll steal with with pride and he really loved this unrelenting pursuit of excellence uh, that David Sterling referred to and I suppose when you think about what we do turning our stock over 363 days a year you know we we have to do that all of the time because we want to deliver for our customers you know we have to have self-discipline we can't rely on other people to do things for us and you know David Sterling talks about not having hierarchy behaving with humility and also with with humor because whilst it's hard yards at the moment you know we want people to enjoy what they do and believe in what what they do so I suppose what I'm just alluding to here is the learning the continuous learning is from the top we would never settle on our laurels we know how competitive it is we always want to shine that light further down the tunnel than any of our competitors and i think the family lead that piece so to your question michael absolutely not um we can never ever ever afford to be complacent in this environment or in any environment no business can I don't think I've ever made so many notes through our conversations. I'm scribbling away, which nobody can see, of course, but trust me, I'm scribbling away like an absolute fool. Conscious of the clock as always. Just on that complacency then, and, and to Simon's point about reflecting on the questions, because the question is basically asking something you want to know, because it's relevant, I assume, at that time. It's relevant to the context. It's relevant to where Warburton's. Could you just give us then a sense in terms of that forward looking, you, you know, you talked about those three areas about how you're re-looking at, you know, the EBP uh, and tweaking the values, et cetera. How does the organization then discuss how the culture is refined, if you like? How do you take that listening? How do you take that understanding? Because I recall as well, you know, when you were in the, in the lockdown, you talked about unearthing a sort of a new type of leadership culture also at Warburton's, if I recall, you know, that rise of the empathetic leader, for example, uh, at that time. So could you just give us a quick lens in terms of the conversations and, and, mm. and, and how that consciously happens, if you like? So post-COVID, as a leadership board, we undertook a piece of work ourselves to really dig into and do a deep dive on what we believe our cultural foundations are so what you know what is our secret source um is what we called it you know what brings distinction to our brand and business around our people and, and culture and we also looked at our aspirational culture so what is it that we absolutely need to preserve but what is it that needs to evolve alongside um if you will or dial up and when we looked at it there were a number of, of areas but i think one of the most important ones was enterprise leadership 
We're very, we're very good at operating as strong functional silos. So each of the departments is well led, they're clear on what they have to do. But historically, I think we have seen probably culture and behaviours, which has been to preserve the function rather than think about the business. So enterprise leadership is, is, is about how we start to really act in the collective interests of the business in its entirety. So that's something that we've been talking to our, our leaders about. Also something that we, we call courageous collaboration. So how do we utilise expertise and something that we did extremely well over COVID? So how do we build on that experience where we are respectful of and using people's experience and expertise to generate the optimal solutions? But then most importantly, getting that joint commitment to action. So I think collaboration is one of those skills that's super important moving moving forward. And then probably just to highlight uh, another one, it would be about more evidence-based decisions, using data effectively, getting insights and acting appropriately. So again, I guess it's this combination of uh, human intervention and technology that's going to uh, enable us to continue to deliver success. The thing is, there's such a rise in terms of technology, isn't there? But however, on its own merits, it's just tech. It has to enable what's important for the organisation, where execution, and again, you've talked in the past about being really laser-focused on being the most efficient that you possibly can be, but then driving that enhanced effectiveness Mm -hmm in how you execute and make decisions, et cetera. So before we get on to our last question, we could talk, I could talk all afternoon, honestly. And if I could give, honestly, if I could give you some feedback as well, if I may, I love our conversations. I know Simon does too, but every conversation I have with you, I learn. And I'm really grateful for that. I really, really am. And I mean that sincerely. This is just so rich and I love it. So I've got to ask this question because I'm wondering, I think people may be wanting to know themselves. I want to ask about the adverts in the context of your culture. There's a deliberateness, isn't there, right, to this? I'm just really curious that if I'm an employee at Warburton's and I'm watching Jonathan have a conversation with Robert De Niro or whoever it may be, could you just give us a lens into the thought process and the impact that these adverts have, not just on us as consumers, but also on the colleague? I'm sure people might want to lens into that. We'd be remiss of me not to ask. Well, I suppose the first thing to confirm is that really is Jonathan, who is is in the adverts. That's the question that I'm always asked. Is that really, uh, is that really your boss? Uh, yes, it is. Yes, I'm very good. He he is too. I think it goes back to the brand, and for me, Warburton's is an iconic, trusted brand. It has warmth and absolute sincerity, and I think that lots of people will have nostalgic moments when they think about Warburton's, whether it's as a child eating crumpets or tea cakes or toasty. I think people do have a an affection and a connection with us. And I think what the adverts have done over time is really demonstrated the strength of the Warburton's brand. So, of course, at one point, you know, Jonathan's mother and father were in the the adverts, you know, they were very family oriented. 
And the whole sort of ethos of the gold campaigns, as we called them, was about our brand strength and talkability, people you know, being interested in them, being amused, uh, having that, that sort of connection with us. So we always finish. Our last question is always the same. Uh, and we ask our guests to impart top tips and wisdom. And, and it's proven that this has been to be one of the most popular questions. So what would be some of your top tips or your piece of wisdom? And, and do you know what? I feel a bit embarrassed at asking because you've shared an absolute huge amount so you may repeat what you've already shared but mm. so if there's anything on top but you know if somebody came to you today and went you know mm. I'm 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 really curious I, I've, I've got a I've got a new role I'm driving culture what mm. pieces of wisdom or top tips would you impart upon them okay so I think the first thing to say is that culture and values are the responsibility of everybody in an organization it is not something that can be crafted by consultants or by marketing spin. It can't be mandated. It can't be delegated or used selectively. Absolutely has to be authentic, lived, understood and demonstrated. So I think in summary, you've got to be really very, very clear on what your culture and values are. And then I think once you've you've done that and you've tested that out with the organization, that you integrate those desired behaviors, the values into the very fabric of the organization. And that means in your leadership behavior, your recruitment, your performance management, your communication, your tone, your language. And I suppose you have to maintain um, oversight on that and ensure that it remains relevant for the conditions in which you're operating and against the results. Is it helping you achieve the results that you want to achieve as a as a business? Oh, nobody can see this, but Simon's just sort of sitting, nodding, <laughs> nodding his head at those top tips. And I'm guessing you're saying you have to bake it into the whole organisation. Yeah. But I just I've gone the whole episode without doing that pun. But oh, that was very, very good, Simon. I think we'll just roll with it, shall we? Yeah, we'll be here till next week if we let him get on with this. <laughs> we, we honestly, we're just black belts at bread puns. I bet you are. Don't worry. Simon's not <laughs> Simon's not bad, actually. He's very good at it, actually, on our internal WhatsApp group. There's always a there's always a pun or two. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. Sue, I cannot thank you enough for an amazing Pleasure. episode and conversation. As I said, um, we were very fortunate to meet you about five years ago. Um, be be part of the evolution of Warburton's, but just to be a small part of it and to learn from it and you know, I remember our first conversation, actually, we talked about crumpets. And I remember saying to you, you said, you need to try Warburton's crumpets. I said, I have. I have. I said, if you buy cheap, you buy it twice. And uh, I'll never forget that first conversation. But uh, anyway, let me, let me wrap this up. And just to say, Sue, thank you so much. It's been an absolute privilege and a great way for us to close out the year on our 25th episode of the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Michael. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Oh. What a conversation. So much depth, so much richness. I I referred to the point about no complacency and that 
always on, but it's the conviction that I took away massively from that episode. Before I dive into mine, Simon, because we always spend some time, don't we, looking at the takeaways and what did we glean, as it were. Can I start with yourself? What were some of the big takeaways for you? Our first big takeaway was you were brave enough to go for anthropologist. Um, we we discussed that beforehand, didn't we? As a, that was going to be a challenge. I subtly uh, slowed into it, Simon. Seamless, seamless. Thank you. Uh, I'm very brave, though. Yeah, I, I I liked very much how Sue framed uh, culture. Yeah, you know, in this this sort of discretionary effort to sort of roll back the duvet cover on a cold November morning, going into work, being proud and enthused with your nose north. I mean, there's some great language in there that makes it real um, rather than the sort of theoretical definition of culture. But then she talked later on about the, the measure of culture. You know, her view was, you know, it's how well you perform in a crisis. I thought that was, again, very astute and, and very quite deep, actually. And just think, thinking about how it can be measured in real terms. Yeah, I mean, listen, I agree with it. It's interesting that comment about in a crisis, back against the wall. You're right. The visual notion of somebody at 4.30 on a cold, wet Tuesday morning in November or January, as it were, um, but being really clear on what it is that they're setting out to do. It is that conviction. I've spoken to you, spoken to Sue many times, and that's always my takeaway. You know, belief in what a culture means and what value means. I love the rest list since 1876. I think the family have really brought that to life, haven't they? But yes, that proud of something, that discretional effort, love the, no the nose is north. I think that pointing in the same direction. But they also recognize, and this is the beauty, I think, of this organization in particular, but what I think all organizations need to be mindful of, there's are multiple generations working side by side. How do you make that work, you know, for all the generations, but you have to be appealing to the next one? You have to. And not just that they're an organization with long tenure either. You know, she gave the great uh, feedback to Jonathan from somebody who'd been there for six weeks. I love that. And his use of language in the note going, you know, we're part of your team. I, I think that was a really interesting example that because um, you're right, they're renowned for that long tenure. People have been there a long time. But no, you know, people have come into it and it is that stickability, isn't it? I think that's the point. My father always said to me, you know, what happens when you're not there? Does the culture persist? Does it stay as it should be? Are standards maintained? You know, because that's really what it's about. It's, it's weaved or as you so eloquently put it, Simon, baked into how things are done. On a good note, though, it's uh, we're now into our holidays, our well-earned holidays, and we've got the new year coming up. Yes. We've got a wonderfully rich 2023 ahead of us with we do. lots of episodes coming up. I think the conversations hopefully are getting richer, in our opinion. Hopefully we're touching on the areas that people are concerned about want to know more about and as you rightly say we have i think a plan for 2023 now already baked oh to use that one again um but no i'm looking forward to next year simon and great effort this year loved all the conversations thank you to all of our guests but thank you to our listeners and until the next time goodbye <laughs> <laughs>